your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on international business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast, where yet again we have a very interesting guest. And this time we are talking to Karen Smits. Karen is an international expert on organizational anthropology. She finished her PhD in social sciences and cross-cultural collaboration in mega projects, for which she had the opportunity to gather data in the Panama Canal Expansion Program. Her PhD thesis, titled Cross-Cultural Work, receives a lot of attention in the project management community and beyond. Based in Sao Paulo, Brazil, Karen is active as a business culture consultant in the Latin America region. She supports companies and employees in developing cross-cultural collaboration, organizational change and growth initiatives. She's often invited to speak about her research outcomes and facilitates workshops on culture and collaboration in the workplace. Listen to Karen, because she's got a lot of interesting stories to tell what she um, experienced in her t- during her time, her year-long stay in Panama and beyond. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. But, I, I, But it's I, good I, afternoon for you, isn't it? It is a good afternoon, yeah. Recording time here is uh, one o'clock uh, in the afternoon. It's, uh, yeah. it's eight minutes past one. Haven't had my lunch yet, but that's perfectly okay. Have you had your breakfast? Because I, um, where are you? I'm in Sao Paulo, and yes, I just had my breakfast. You just <laughs> it's 9 a.m. here. Okay, yeah. and you're, in the, you're, you're living in the concrete jungle, the concrete city. That's what they say, but if I look outside, I see trees and I hear birds. Trees and birds um, in Sao Paulo. How do you yes. how do you rhyme that? Uh, we live a little bit outside of the city center, yeah. um, so that we can enjoy nature a little bit more than the concrete jungle that Sao Paulo is known for. Yes, I've yeah. been there. I've been there a couple of times, and indeed, the streets of uh, Sao Paulo, at least what I've seen of this, uh, was it 18 million people living there, is um, is is tremendous in terms of how much concrete they concrete they poured actually in that city. Anyways, it's not about Sao Paulo, it's all about you. Um, Can you tell us a little bit before we dive into uh, uh, the the aspect of culture and your experience with that and your frame of reference, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you come from, and uh, we know that you're in Sao Paulo, and what is your, your, uh, I always call it a cultural frame of reference, in other words, where Mm -hmm. do you have some significant experience with different cultures? Oh, well, I grew up in the Netherlands. I was born in the Netherlands. Uh-huh. Um, I studied culture, organization, and management at the VU University in Amsterdam. Okay. Um, that's a, a, a master's program focused on, um, on culture in the organization. Okay. Um, before that, I traveled a lot in uh, South, Southeast Asia. I started in Thailand, and six months later, I came back. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back with the idea to start my university degree, um, but then I was so hooked up on traveling that I decided to uh, work a little bit and travel again. I went to Latin America that time, uh, traveled to um, uh, Peru, Bolivia, Colombia, and Ecuador. Is that like backpacking? That was backpacking. Both uh-huh. both trips were backpacking. Okay. Uh, then I started actually start, went to Amsterdam. I moved to Amsterdam, and coming from the south of the Netherlands, going to Amsterdam was already. Uh, a difference, not a big culture shock, but definitely different. Uh-huh. 
Um, and during that study, I, um, I studied uh, culture in the organization and I had the opportunity to go to Belize to study the Mennonites. And Mennonites are, um, we call them Doopsgezinde in the Netherlands, they're a religious community. Okay. And, and ba- Belize is, uh, that's, that's uh, bordering Mexico, isn't it? Or Yes, Mexico yeah. and, yeah, yeah, bordering Mexico. It's the only English-speaking uh, country in Central America. Okay, yeah. Um, so I, I lived there for three, four months uh, to gather the data for my master thesis, and then went back to the Netherlands, uh, finished the master degree, and started looking for jobs. Um, and then I was invited to study to start a PhD at the university, same university, same department, uh, Department of Organization Studies at yeah. the university. Um, and that's uh, that study is what brought me to Panama, where I lived for one year and gathered data for my PhD research. Mm-hmm. In Panama, I met my now Mexican husband, um, <laughs> <laughs> so we have an intercultural marriage as yes. well. Yeah. Um, and his com- his company, sorry, moved us to Brazil uh, a couple of months ago. Okay, so that's where you currently know. That's where I am right now. <laughs> Yeah. So you're a, a, a Dutch a Dutch lady who uh, traveled somewhat in Asia and then to Latin America um, and got s- stuck work and love wise and are now in, uh, living in South America. That's a very good resume. <laughs> okay. in, in in your uh, in your introduction, you uh, or we have introduced you as being an organizational anthropologist. What does yeah. that mean? Um, well, uh, like an anthropologist, uh, we believe that um, every uh, tribe has its own culture. Uh-huh. So, um, so as anthropologists go to tribes and study the norms and the values and the behavior of people in that culture, we do the same thing in organizations. I believe that every organization has its own culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that culture, there, are, there actually exist subcultures um, having their own practices, um, heroes, stories, uh, values, etc., um, so organizational anthropologists just basically study the organization from a cultural perspective. Okay, um, it's uh, I I'm, I'm a follower, if you want, quote unquote, of uh, Geert Hofstede, mm. uh, the the Dutch uh, professor. I'm not really sure yeah. if he's an anthropologist or a, a technician, either or something in between. And he makes a good, clear distinction between national cultural differences, which would be the difference between you as being a Dutchman or a Dutch woman and a Brazilian. Yeah. And he makes uh, the separation between national cultural differences and organizational cultural differences. Would you agree with that? Uh, I definitely agree that there's definitely that, that there's a lot of cultural differences between nationalities. Um, but I don't agree with Geert Hofstede stating that uh, nationality is the main part of someone's culture. So. Um, I believe that I have to say I believe Geert Hofstede did a really good job in mm-hmm. putting culture on the agenda. Um, I think before him, there was not much interest in culture and organizations. Mm-hmm. So he did a really good uh, job on that. However, uh, we have evolved and, and I believe due to globalization as well, um, we now, uh, we are more culturally complex than, than just nationwide. I don't, I don't agree that we can say, oh, so you're Dutch, that means... Uh, you belong to certain uh, dimensions mm-hmm. uh, in his skill. I think culture is a lot more complex than that. And are you are you then putting national culture and organizational culture on one heap? Uh, uh, no, I think there's more than that. Uh, besides the national culture, the organizational culture, there's 
professional cultures, uh, meaning that technicians or in- engineers have a different culture, a uh, different language, a different way of thinking than be- marketeers, for example. Or pilots or, or, or pilots. medics. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's different, there's various levels of culture and mm. And yes, national culture is one of them. Organizational culture is another one. Professional culture is part of that. Hmm. Uh, team culture is an aspect of that. Which is a subculture of an organization. Which usually is a subculture of organization. Yeah. yeah. Would yeah. you agree with, um, uh, I'm not really sure if Hofstede actually says this or otherwise I've adopted it or invented it. I don't know. Um, I, I call culture, cult, national culture is like frozen history. Um, of course, things change, but they change so gradually. And if they change, everybody changes. So the relative difference between two nations, if you want, to two cultures remains the same. But on the other hand, an organizational culture is something that you can uh, mold. You can change, be it slowly. But it's national culture is something that you cannot change. I don't agree with that, hmm. actually. I think um, culture is never frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, culture is very dynamic and it moves and it changes all the time because of the people that are part of the culture. Um, and I think national cultures change too. I mean, in the Netherlands, there's now this discussion about uh, Zwarte Piet, Black Piet. But is it, uh, is, I fully agree with that part. But if you, um, this is a Hofstede uh, expression. He says you cannot say something meaningful or you can only speak meaningfully about cultures by the grace of comparison. So you have to take one country mm. and the other country. Now, for instance, in the Western world, I think what we see is uh, a continuing uh, individualization of, well, the individual. So all countries mm-hmm. are, be- are becoming more individual. And you can say, okay, the Dutch are becoming more individual. But that doesn't mean anything because you have to contrast that with yet another culture. Yeah. And if... Um, I'm, I'm just I'm, uh, I'm provoking you in a way. If you say this whole discussion about this uh, this festivity that we have, the Dutch have on uh, the 5th of December, um, where all the kids get presents, it's called Sinterklaas, for those of you that understand this. There is, this is the, isn't this the typical consensus seeking that the Dutch do? It, I mean, at the heart of it all, it doesn't really matter. But the thing that we like to do is just talk about it, because in the end, <laughs> nothing really changes. That's what I mean, I to prove me wrong. Or share your thoughts, rather. <laughs> well, I, I was using this example because I, I partly agree with you, but I'm using this example to say that our national thinking is changing. Yeah. Um, and, and for that, I believe that culture is changeable. I'm saying it's not frozen. We don't, we're not stuck to one thought or one behavior, one practice. We Our ideas about what's good practice and what's bad practice, what's accepted behavior and what's not accepted mm-hmm. changes over time. Mm-hmm. And, that, and it might change due to what we see across our own borders. So, uh, so yes, we compare. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, yeah, so I, I, I think um, culture is, because I'm using this example only to make the point that I don't believe culture is frozen. Okay. Well, that's I think we can. I, I don't think we can shape it as much as we sometimes think. Um, it's it's not a. Um, how do you say that? It's not a tool that you can just use one day or another. Um, uh, but I do believe that it's uh, it's uh, you can twist and turn a little bit. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. I do agree with you that it, it, it is evolving. But I think I come from the standpoint that both are evolving. evolving. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all countries are evolving. And hence, the difference remains the same. Um, I'd like to sort of backtrack a little bit because you spent a year in Panama. And this is how we sort of got together. Uh, we got hooked up, through, I think, through LinkedIn or something. Yeah. 
what did you do in Panama? What was there? Well, I came to Panama because I was looking for a big project uh, to study cross-cultural collaboration in infrastructure projects. Wow. Um, that seems like a title. That was the title of my, <laughs> was, and it still is actually, yeah. it was the title of my, uh, the research proposal that I wrote for the uh, VU University in Amsterdam mm-hmm. um, as my PhD. We were looking, we wanted to know how people deal with the different, uh, with the cultural differences and similarities they find in their workplace. And again, sorry, um, because I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to not miss anything. Are you talking about national cultural differences here or organizational cultural differences? Both. Both. Okay, continue. Yes. Um, and we were, as I was sponsored by the Next Generation uh, Infrastructures Foundation, mm-hmm. I needed to find an infrastructure project. Yeah. Um, so I listed, we, we made a short list of 10 projects in the world and then uh, found out that Panama, the project in Panama, uh, which is the Panama Canal Expansion Program, yeah. was a really complex, culturally complex project. Um, Why? And it appeared Why is that, that, Why is that culturally complex? Um, there is national culture, company, cu- cultures coming together. There is Spaniards, Italians, Belgians, Panamanians, and Americans working together on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all could belong to different organizations. So there's also various organizations coming together mm-hmm. to um, expand the waterway. Okay. Uh, so on various levels, this project was highly culturally complex. Uh, and I'm here to have access via uh, via a few stepping stones to go to Panama, mm-hmm. um, and I had the opportunity to study uh, cross cultural collaboration in this big project. So that's how I came to Panama in 2009, and I stayed for one year to gather okay. the data. All yeah. right. What, what was the? I know this is academic research. Um, yeah. and, and so and and academic research is uh, is is usually yours not, but usually very boring. Um, what? What? It, sorry, no. I'm just kidding you. What, what's the conclusion that you got out of this? Or talk, tell, tell us a little bit how this went. What did you see? What did you find? Oh, I found. Um, I wrote a book about it, um, and there is much more. Yeah. Uh, we found uh, that culture needs to be high on the project management agenda. That's not a surprise. No. The surprise it doesn't happen as much. Uh, so when people come together to start a project. Culture is not on top of their minds. Uh, and that's basically the message that I'm trying to portray now in my work, that culture actually does need to be on top of the agenda. Uh, and in my, my research, I found various what I call practices of collaboration. So how people deal with cultural differences and similarities in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and to make this a little bit academic, I put this in a model that I called the collaborant. And the collaborant is the neology of the word collaboration and labyrinth, yeah. uh, expressing how difficult cultural collaboration actually is. Yeah. Okay. It's it's there. There's a book out there which is called uh, "Culture Eats Strategy." Yeah. Um, and that's more about organizational culture, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And basically, what you're saying, culture matters. Um, that's why you're on the Culture yep. Matters podcast. And you say. One of your conclusions is that that should be on the agenda, um, but it isn't. Why isn't this on the agenda? Uh, I think that's another research. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, of course, you, you have your ideas. You've seen, you've been there. You've, you've got I your hands dirty. 
Yes, uh, I do. And, and, often, and often they say we don't have time for this. And you have to keep, keep in mind that it's engineers building projects. Um, and engineers have a different cultural background and a different education mm-hmm. than social scientists like myself, for example. Um, so they prefer to focus on risk analysis, decision making. They just focus on icon- economic aspects and... Um, and resources, as in why it's why they can collaborate together, because one has hydraulic experience and the other one has dredging experience, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. But they don't think about the soft part of, uh, of of the collaboration. They don't think about whether they have the same ideas of participating in this project, whether they would have the same work practices using the same methods and. And I'm not saying that they have to use all the same methods, but I, I do say that they should um, take into account that these might be very different because once they start working together, they notice the big differences and mm-hmm. then it's often late. Is, is, this, uh, is this due to ignorance? People just don't realize it? No, I don't think so. Um, they, they do would, realize it? Uh, yes, but later on. <laughs> Okay, so basically when it's too late, when they've burned their, their fingers, yes. if you want. Yes, when, when, when clashes have taken place. And I don't think it's ignorance. I just think it's not on top of their mind. It's just not the way they have learned to think. Mm. It's not the way that they, they discuss issues in their work. It's, um, it's just a, a totally different way of thinking and focusing on, on building projects okay. or constructing something. Yeah. Yeah, I work occasionally for the occasional construction company, and indeed, these are guys with uh, with hats and, and and boots with steel toes and stuff like that. So, they're 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 the tough guys that uh, I guess that that do this kind of work. It's, it, yes. How how do you get this on the agenda? And if you could, how how could an organization benefit from that? Well, right now, I'm still promoting um, my research outcomes a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and I find I, I'm surprised by how much um, attra- attention it attracts in the mm-hmm. project management community. Uh, so that's a start. That says something. It says that people um, are highly interested in 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 the topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to learn and they want to understand what happens when cultures come together in a project. Um, so that's where I start, and then um, I give lots of training uh, in organizations, uh, but that's usually when clashes have occurred already. So um, I, I prefer, I would like to come to the table before collaboration starts so that we can do our cultural scan, for example, create a profile of the different cultures coming together to understand where differences might occur, but also where similarities are so that people can build on that because that usually strengthens a relationship. Okay, that's so. It's not all doom and gloom. No, okay. no, I would say so. And, and what would be the benefits uh, if if people actually would prior to starting a a project? I mean, and you don't have to, of course, dig the the, the Panama Canal always. I mean, it could be smaller projects, I presume, yes. as well. Yeah. So, what yeah, could yeah. be the benefits then? I think the benefit of uh, first of all of knowing that we are culturally different is already something that makes us equal and it, it's it opens our mindset if we know that there are differences and similarities and once we know these differences and similarities we can work with these um and we can we can smoothen collaboration a lot i'm not saying that there will not be any cultural clashes anymore because clashes are inevitable but we can use these clashes 
um, to make collaboration better and to put certain topics on the agenda. Okay, but this is all—that's something that always keeps keeps coming back. I mean, in the real business yeah. world, that is okay. That uh, working together is one thing. You know, what I'm interested in, quote unquote, is time or money, or time equals money. How do you translate this to either the shortening of the time? Uh, in other words, there's, oh. le there's less friction, yeah. things are smoother. How do you say quantify this in dollars? Or no, euros? I can't. I can't. That is very difficult. That's that's the most difficult part in my work as well, or basically selling it is, um, yes. my work. Yeah, I find that very difficult yeah. um, because I can't. Also, we can do a study on. Uh, we can do two pilot studies of two projects next to each other to compare that, for example, to mm -hmm. states. Uh, well, this one project had cultural interference and the other one didn't, so the other one lasted longer and took more time and so an AB run study. over budgets. Yeah, okay. it's, that's, that's kind of difficult to do. Um, but we all know that, that frictions uh, cost a lot of time and a lot of money. So if we have less frictions in uh, the culture mat, in the culture subject, uh, then we will save time and we will save money. But it's very difficult to say how much time and how much money that will be. Okay, I'm, I'm definitely on your side. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm not against <laughs> this at all. But this is the uh, one of the really difficult things. That yes. uh, it, it's like an, an invisible force that either uh, helps or hinders uh, an organization when it's working internationally or being a project management. Um, I know we all love, love stories, and you've been in Panama for a year, and you were uh, doing some your research at the uh, the expansion of the Panama Canal. Mm -hmm. What are some of the cultural frictions that you've seen, and if you can put that in a story, that would be great. Ooh, um, where to start? There's so many, there's so many. Pick a good one, um, a juicy um, one. A juicy one. Um, um, uh, I was just thinking. Um, uh, what would be a good surprise, mate? What would be a surprise, maybe? Um, well, in my in my um, uh, collaborant, I show various practices of collaboration. I explained that before. Yeah. Um, and one practice is um, is what I call submarining, and that is when when partners they they come to the project. They focus on their own part of the project. And like a submarine, basically, they go underwater, focus on their own part of the work. Mm -hmm. And then once they come back up to the surface, they notice that their partners have gone into totally different directions. Right. Just because they were so much focused on, on their own uh, behavior, on their traditional habits, um, and on roles that they're used to work in in previous practices, right. or in previous projects, right? Yeah. Now, in my book, I have various illustrations of this uh, example, but one would be uh, the search for structure. And in uh, the, the, um, the consortia, the consortia is called Grupo Unidos para el Canal. This is a consortia of uh, the Italian firm Impergillo, the Spanish firm Sassir, uh -huh. the Belgian firm Jan de Nul, and the Panamanian firm Cusa. So it is four national cultures, four organizational cultures that try to, that formed a uh, consortium and try to collaborate. Yeah, I came to this project in 2009, just after they were um, they won the tender to um, to start building the third set of blocks project. It's a design build contract, mm -hmm. um, and um, and they came to Panama and they started um, uh, setting up their their office there. The Italians brought their espresso machine. They really did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. 
um, uh, the Belgians were struggling with uh, with the, the the way the Spaniards speak, uh, the way the Italians speak in meetings. They find that very theatrical. Okay. Um, anyway, at some point, I was I was looking for a organization chart because it helps me understand a little bit of how the organization um, is meant to run. I'm not saying that this is. Uh, always the case, but it's the way mm-hmm. people often meant uh, how organizations often are meant to run hierarchically. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find one, and um, I started asking around, of course, um, and apparently there was none. Uh, this was at the like this was this was a couple of months after they started, um, and I I figured I'll come back later. I came back later in January and again in April. Mm-hmm. Still, and there were there was still no official org charts. Yes, there were organization charts, but but they were not official. So um, there's still a lot of discussion on who should be where um, in the hierarchical ladder of the organization. But the, but I mean, the project was rolling on, I presume. Uh, yeah. Okay. They were trying, sort All of. Right. All right. Um, then one day, uh, this uh, key respondent calls me and he says, "Karen, it's total chaos here." Um, and he explains that um, uh, there was an announcement of the Ministry of Labor of Panama coming to the project to see who already had a visa to work and who didn't. And of course, he needs to have a work visa to work in Panama. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, stress all over. Uh, the management decided everyone had to stay home. Every, I mean, every foreigner had to stay home. Yeah. And call his boss on the morning uh, that the Ministry of Labor was going to come to make sure whether... Uh, the government already had visited the project or whether they would still be working from home that day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and so happened. So he says, now we all have, to, all we have to do is call Movistar, which is like uh, the telephone provider in Panama, mm-hmm. and, and see who calls who, because that helps us figure out the organizational structure of our company. <laughs> That's an interesting approach. Yeah. <laughs> it was he was just joking, but um, okay. but he he was he was plain serious. He was like he was searching for uh, an organizational structure that still wasn't there. Uh, it had been a couple of months. Uh, he didn't really know who to uh, report to, uh, who to take orders from. Uh, it was a very complex situation, but a very it's a it's a good example of showing that. That people have a need for structure, um, uh, and 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 they have this need, uh, I guess, because they're used to that from previous projects. And and this project took a lot longer for him to find, um, to find the structure. Right. What's the current status of this project in Panama? It's delayed. It's delayed. Is it for, for cultural <laughs> reasons or financial reasons, or maybe both? Both, for sure. Um, it was expected to be finished in August August 15, 2014, which is actually a histor- historical uh, date because 100 years ago, mm-hmm. the Americans opened the Panama Canal on August 15. Uh, but it's announced that it will not be finished before the start of 2015. It might actually be later. Great. And yes, I think this is both culturally and financially um, yeah. okay. the reasons for this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. It's, I guess you must have uh, another uh, hundred stories or something um, mm-hmm. that happened. And, and actually, I want to get it more towards your uh, caring yourself in, and not so much the uh, the academic side of it. If you went to you, you've traveled to Asia as well, and then you went to Panama to do your um, well, your research, PhD. Your, your, yeah. your PhD. Yes. What is your culture shock that you had when you, as a Dutch Dutchman, a Dutch woman, arrived in Panama? 
Um, there's many. Um, but I came with a very open mindset. I think because I had traveled so much already, um, I had a very open mindset and uh, not that many expectations at the same time. I knew I was, it was going to be a culture shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was at various levels. But for example, it, uh, it's related to my research. Uh, when I came to the, to the Panama Canal organization, they, they, tra- they saw me as a student studying... Um, an aspect in their organization and I was completely fine with that Mm -hmm. because here's my cultural background in the Netherlands students often get quite a lot of space people enjoy speaking to students uh, Mm -hmm. enjoy helping them Um, they can do their their research and they can they can send out a survey they'll get some answers etc in Panama or at least in the Panama Canal organization a student is the one who receives orders from someone. And those orders go from from copying to coffee making to, <laughs> I mean, that kind of level. And I didn't have a supervisor. So people in the country were really, in the company, sorry, in the yeah. Panama Canal company, they were really confused because there was no one giving me orders. And 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 I was, I wanted to interview people, but they, I mean, there was this big hierarchical difference where, um, where people were expecting me to do things in mm-hmm. like uh, following commands from someone, but there was no one there who would do so. So they were really confused about who I was and what my position was. In the beginning, I, th- I thought this would not be an issue mm-hmm. um, and just went with the flow. I, mean, I, get a, I got a student permission. Uh, they, they gave me student housing. That was all fine by me mm-hmm. uh, until I really wanted to speak to people and I didn't get any access. That's when I noticed, hmm, this is because I'm a student here uh, and there's no one uh, approving right. me interviewing other people. Yeah. And, and you're only a student. That, in that. And I was only a student. Yeah. Yes, for them, for them at least. Sure. Once, uh, once they figured out that I was also teaching at the university and I was doing a research, their whole uh, perspective on me changed. People were actually saying, "Oh, you're a professor! <laughs> wow!" So from a student, I became a professor. Right. And um, and, and they that were getting you coffee. Course. Yeah, almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It opened all doors. So, so here was my culture, uh, cultural difference. Me thinking that as a student, I would uh, I would get the access needed to gather the data, and then finding out that it doesn't work that way, and it didn't work that way in Panama. Is there any uh, the fact that you're a woman? Did that uh, help or hinder anything? I would say that the blonde uh, blonde hair and blue eyes helped me in this research. Yes. Um, not in any negative sense, but I do believe that. Uh, there were engineers that were a little bit more willing to take me on a tour to tell me a little bit more because of the blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think uh, being a woman in this male-dominant environment uh, mostly helped me because I was I could ask dumb questions, basically. I mean, I'm also not an engineer, so I have no idea about what they're doing uh, work-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I could ask any question and it would not be... For them, that would not be a shame, or I, uh, that I would not be seen as stupid. Right. Uh, they would definitely willing to help me and answer my questions and explain me uh, what I wanted to know. Okay. Makes makes, yeah. makes good sense. Would, could yeah. you be able to identify um, uh, one of the or the biggest difference between either uh, either the Dutch or maybe European and uh, Panamanian or Latin culture? 
Oh, there are so many. Um, okay, give us a couple then. But the, but if we generalize, because these are generalizations, right? Well, but but that, that is what we're doing. I mean, when you talk about culture, you talk about general trends in society. That doesn't mean that it's, it's applicable to every individual. That's the thing no, with culture, of no. course. But I think um, uh, one of them is there's a perception of time. How And then I'm saying how we Dutch, because I think in Europe there's already a lot of differences mm-hmm. Uh, versus uh, Latin Americans, we we Dutch are very time uh, efficient, um, and time is very important for us. It's a waste of time if we have to wait for people, and we see that as um, a show of disrespect sometimes. Whereas here in Latin America, time is taking a lot more flexible. Um, uh, I, it's not seen as as disrespect for arriving late on a party or the mm-hmm. meeting or anything. So I think that's one. Um, another one is, is language. I think uh, that in our language, we are a lot more direct. And that's not only our language, it's also our behavior. Sure. Um, and I think Spanish or Portuguese are languages that are a lot more smooth and softer. Um, and sugarcoat stuff. Yeah, just yes, yes. Yeah. Just not as harsh. Mm. Um, family is another one. I think if I think about my family, the people I celebrate Christmas with, that's my parents, my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, but in uh, Latin America, you, you spend family with aunts and uncles and uh, primos and primas, uh, cousins and um, nieces and nephews and everything. Like the, the circle of what we call family is a lot bigger on this on the Latin American continents than in, in the Netherlands, I think, or Europe. We have more nuclear families in uh, in Western Europe and North America, and maybe more extended families in uh, in Latin America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. So these are uh, yeah some of the cultural differences. What what can we learn? What can we learn? We as the audience learn from what you've done. Mm. <laughs> Great question. Is, is that coffee you're drinking? <laughs> uh, tea. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Reminding myself that it's, it's getting cold. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, uh, what you can learn from my experiences, I think st- my stories and I think my experiences help to uh, realize the importance of culture. So that culture matters, as uh, your work states. Um, I think in my book, I explain a lot about how people deal with cultural differences and similarities. And they, um, um, I hear a lot. I hear most people say that they're, they recognize them. They just didn't think of them. So that's. Stay, saying that um, it's it's opening our minds again, um, um, making us aware mm. how important culture is in everyday life, but also in in business matters. You mentioned um, uh, your book. How could people get the book if they wanted to? It's available on exedrabooks.com. That's a Spanish website. But I will um, send you the link so you can post it yes. with. Um, uh, and the, on the show notes, yes. Yeah, by the yeah. way, if you're uh, everything we talk about and everything, and how to get in touch with Karen as well, you can find at the uh, in the show notes of this podcast at culturematters.com and then just do the either go to a podcast tab or uh, do a search for Karen, which is K E. Uh, what is key K? <laughs> I'm confusing myself here. Um, it's K A R E N. There you go. That's um, yeah. Got that out of the way. I'll repeat that again <laughs> in a little while. So um, can you give us, the audience, like three uh, tips in general um, to become more culturally competent and, and typically from your own experience, if you can? 
Um, the first one is opening your mind. I've, met that, I've mentioned that a yeah. couple of times. I think it's it's very important to be aware of culture and of your own cultures because I think that if you understand your own culture, you also understand why others are different and why it's so difficult to change. Yeah. Um, I also think that um, uh, it's important to be able to adapt, so to adjust to culture uh, to a cultural aspects of others um, and accept, and see when others do their best to do that for you. How, is that like going with the flow or is that imitating or how do you mean this? Um, um, it's more going with the flow than imitating, yeah. uh, I believe, but it's uh, it's adapting, it's, it's adjusting a little bit. So if you know, if you understand that time is is uh, not as strict taken as that you're used to, then then, then be a little more flexible. Right. Um, don't make a fuzz if somebody's late. No, don't make too much of a fuss. I mean, little fuss. Uh, you have your boundaries as well, right? <laughs> and you can explain them. Yeah. Uh, and another one is language. I think that if we adapt to languages, so if we learn um, and accept that people don't, don't all speak English as well as we do, or they don't all speak Spanish, or I think... I think if we adjust to both language and behavior, that's, um, that makes us more culturally competent. And with language, you mean the literal language? The fact that... I mean... The, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. It's yeah. not like the directness, the under, underlying uh, no. trend in language. It's the literal language. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes really good sense. Um, Karen, if people do want to get in touch with you and they want to know more about what you've done in Panama or they want to book you as a speaker or whatever, they just want to pick your brain, how can <laughs> they do that? How can people best get in touch with you? They can go to my website. That's www.crossculturework.com. Okay, www.crossculturework.com. And also yes. that can be found back in the, uh, in the show notes of yeah. this talk. Um, any other last words from you? Um, uh, I, I I didn't prepare this one. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. It just comes off the cuff, like I said. I think it's time for you to go back to your tea then, because otherwise it's going to get cold. <laughs> it's getting cold. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's already. Thank well, it's you been, very much, Chris. It's, it's been an honor. It's, it's, it's a great. Uh, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the on the phone. Another Dutchman living in Sao Paulo, all the way in Brazil, which is uh, hours and hours away in time and in distance as well. Thanks so much for um, uh, sharing what you've done in Panama. And I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you, Karen, again for the interview and sharing your experiences. I hope you enjoyed this Culture Matters podcast. And if you do like um, what I do here with this podcast, then I would really appreciate if you could leave me an iTunes review and rating. And uh, these are really important uh, to spread the news if you want or the word if you want. And um, make this podcast more available to uh, other people. Because as you have heard, also Karen agrees that culture does matter. Thanks again for listening. And I'll be back in two weeks time bye that's it for this episode the culture matters podcast helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences